This episode is brought to you by SoftLayer, an IBM company. If you're an entrepreneur, SoftLayer has created an incredible program just for you. It's called Catalyst. Catalyst offers amazing perks to you and your company, including credits to use their servers, mentorship, connections, and marketing support. To find out more, visit softlayer.com slash catalyst. Again, that's softlayer.com slash catalyst to find out more about this amazing program. This week, we talked about a topic that is all too familiar with entrepreneurs, travel, and specifically how to remain productive in the midst of your travels. We also caught up with Mickey Cloud, vice president at the innovative VaynerMedia. Mickey discusses some of the pitfalls companies are making in social media and how to fix them. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is the podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside Silicon Valley. My name is Matt Boyd. And I'm Brian Ardinger. How's it going this week? Big week? Big week. Another week. It's heading into Thanksgiving here shortly. Starting to get uh, cold. The weather is kind of up and down and weird and all kinds of sideways. I don't know how to think about it, but... Exactly. But I was going to say, because it's, you know, Thanksgiving, people are starting to think about travel and that. We figured, well, maybe today's topic, we could talk about startup travel. That's, uh, that's a topic that I know a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> I've just spent three weeks on the road. So, yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll give you all my hints and tips as well. So uh, let's get into it. Um, what do you think about travel as far as uh, startups? And, and is it possible to run a company or not even run a company, to work at a company while you're traveling over the holidays or even for longer periods of time? Yes, yeah, definitely possible to, to run a company um, being on the road. Uh, I think when you have a few people in the company, you know, if you're at, at the one, two, three person stage, obviously there's things that are different than if you have, you know, 10, 12, 15 people. I think as you add more people, you should probably put in different uh, types of policies and that uh, with regard to how do you manage travel? How do you manage the office while you're out? Things along those lines. I think when it's you and like one or two co-founders, then it's, you know, keeping those people abreast of what's going on and making sure that the travel is purposeful yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of times early on you can think about, well, I need to get on a plane to go see a partner or whatever. And, um, yeah, I think you have to, obviously it's a quick cash burn, uh, when you start jumping on planes and, and driving around and staying in hotels and things along those lines. So it's, it's, it's very important to know why you're getting on the road and how important is it to get on the road to Make your business. Can we just talk a second for how bad hotel Wi-Fi is? <laughs> uh, having sure, we'll change topic. Sure. <laughs> having done a lot of, of travel, I think that one thing that you should probably invest in, especially if you're doing domestic travel, is your own hotspot. If you're not doing tons and tons mm-hmm. of, um, uh, you know, video conferencing and that kinds of, of thing, um, I would highly recommend spending some money. Uh, you know, a little bit of extra or try to get your company. If you travel that much, um, it's worth the, it's worth the investment for sure. So let's talk about time management. I think that it's important to, to think about how you manage your time when you're on the road, because you're always moving around. You're always kind of bouncing from coffee shop to coffee shop and it's hard to really get things done. So, uh, what are some tips on, on managing your time? Well, when I'm on the road, I, I typically, it seems like you must have two full days. Like you have the on the road day when you're in meetings or at the trade show or things like that. And then yeah. you have the rest of the stuff that you typically get done in a day, emails and, and correspondence and things like that. And that's, so, you know, people think when you're traveling a lot, 
it's a luxurious kind of great lifestyle you're in new cities and that but i've been to so many cities where all i've seen is like airport taxi hotel airport taxi back yeah um and and it's kind of grueling when you have to do your full-time job in addition to the stuff that you're on the road for which is very most time if you're on the road it's something that's high pressure and intense it's like an important meeting or again an important trade show or something or multiple you, meetings with multiple exactly people. so yeah. from that perspective i think time management is uh, one of the things i do is obviously do as much as you can from prepping and planning uh, before you go on the trip you know where are you going to stay what are you going to do um you know i think a lot of times startups kind of they um i think start, startups sometimes kind of skimp on the travel uh-huh. yeah where, and and don't take into consideration the amount of time that's wasted so like you know in early days i used to take the like the airport shuttle from the from the airport to the hotel and it would you know it'd stop at 25 hotels and it would take you 45 minutes or an hour or three hours to get from the airport to the hotel it's like well for the amount of money i saved 10 bucks 15 bucks it's worth that time for me to get into a cab get right to the office get right to the the meeting get right to the hotel and and make something happen so you know look look at it not only from the cost that you're spending but what are you spending on on your time to make that happen yeah i think that you know if you're i've seen a lot of situations where a person's in a city for like a week um, if you're in a city for a week, you know, one, one thing that how you waste your, your time is bouncing from coffee shop to coffee shop, like different coffee shops constantly. Uh, and it's hard to get into a flow because you, you, first of all, you have to find the coffee shop and then you have to figure out how to get there and all that kind of stuff. So I, I would recommend, uh, working into a pretty solid routine over a couple of days, like find two coffee shops that you really, really enjoy. Uh, and then, uh, spend the majority of your time there because generally, uh, if you're, if if you're trying to find 10 different coffee shops in San Francisco or New York or wherever you're traveling, uh, it's just going to cause a ton of headache. So that's what one thing that I would recommend. Map it out where your particular meetings are going to be. Again, you don't want to be a lot of times if you don't map it out, you can get in in a city that you're not familiar with. You can oftentimes get caught up in like travel time across the town or something and you miss a meeting or whatever. So be very deliberate about like, where am I going next? How much time do I need to get there? Um, what modes of transportation are available? All those kind of things that I think can help manage the process and make your stress a little bit less uh, yeah. on the road. Here's a, here's a question. So, um, what about, con- so a lot of, a lot of travel is related to conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's, here's a question relating to the idea of getting work done while at conferences. So do you just, uh, you just completely shut off and say, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm just not going to do work from X, X time to X time. Or do you, you kind of pick at work while you're at the conference, listening to the keynote speaker or whatever. What are some thoughts on that? I think there, it can go both ways. I think if you're paying for a conference and you're going there to, you know, meet people and the speakers and things like that, you probably should be all in kind of focused on that. Yeah. Um, and try to minimize the amount of external work, um, that you can, uh, either for after hours or, or again, trying to pre-plan that, that time. Um, so, so that you kind of have blocks of time maybe yeah. built into it. Um, again, I think too many people go to conferences and they spend money and time, but don't really have a clear mission or goal. And they oftentimes end up wasting a lot of the, yep. the effort or the, yep. the amount of impact that they could really have if they were much more deliberate going into the, I think, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think like also, um, generally there's like, a pretty well-known schedule at these conferences. They pass mm-hmm. out, yep. you know, brochures and all kinds of stuff with every single minute of every day planned. So I would, um, 
be very deliberate about uh, looking at that schedule, making sure that you know exactly where you're going, um, but also you know planning your downtime around that schedule. Yep. So you know work during the times where there's not really anything going on that you're you're super interested in, but also you know the times where there's something going on, actually fully engage in that thing. Yeah, and and be careful. Like, don't go you know into a corner or whatever when it, it's a prime networking time. Uh, yeah, when you know, absolutely you know. Again, if, you, if you're much more deliberate about who you want to meet, why do you want to meet them, you know, utilize that time. Um, uh, you know, some travel hacks as far as conferences, there's a lot of ways you can not necessarily even pay to go to the conference, but hang out in the lobby of the where the conference is held or the, you know, the main place. Uh, you can do a lot of meetings that way. You can lo- meet a lot of people and don't have to pay the cover charge and you still get work done um, if you're not interested in seeing the keynotes and things along those lines. So some things like that. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Softlayer, an IBM company. Pitching is one of the major challenges in the early stage of starting a company. This week, Rich discusses how to craft your pitch by telling a unique story. Now back to the show. So what are some of the tools that you use on the road? So, um, I mean, in my bag, obviously I typically bring my MacBook pro, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, other, you know, quite frankly is if I have that, I'm pretty good. Uh-huh. And actually nowadays just with an iPhone, I can get most everything done. Uh-huh. Um, especially on the road. Um, you can, you know, again, minimize it. You're mostly on email and things along those lines. So I'm not typically producing a lot of content or stuff there's an app that i that i found it's basically a website but it's uh it's called every time zone Mm -hmm. and it's it's really really good for kind of planning out especially if you're jet lagging pretty hard Mm -hmm. uh it's really really good for for uh you know knowing what time it is back in the states or what time it is in, in various time zones especially if you're in a time zone that's pretty unfamiliar to you so I would I would highly recommend every time zone if you're doing meetings over conference or whatever and you're you're in a city that's pretty unfamiliar I'm trying to look at my apps in my phone of what ones are kind of traveler travel related. Uh, I use TripIt um, as a as a pl- yeah. it's a really easy way to um, basically you can make a reservation um, any type of reservation you send the email to TripIt it, or actually nowadays it actually search searches your Gmail box as well uh-huh. yeah and it puts it into an itinerary for you so everything's right in that app as far as uh, yep. you know where you're supposed to go uh, addresses phone numbers all that kind of fun things if, so if you're, tra- if you're traveling with a group um one thing that i recommend is using travify which is a local startup here um it's just a super good app for you know kind of getting everybody on the same page creating a group itinerary group payment and all that kind of stuff i would highly recommend that app always bring extra batteries <laughs> um and or plan your day around the charger when you need to do it uh, it's, it there's nothing worse than either trying to check into a plane when your phone's out and you've and you you're 
you're trying to use the phone as your uh, ticket or you know you need to make a call and you're down to three percent battery yeah. <laughs> um, you know so obviously batteries and and uh, power uh, are, are one of the core essential things in the travel space. It looks kind of cheesy, but uh, when I went to Comic-Con a couple years ago, I used a Mophie case. Uh, actually, everybody in our group used Mophie cases. And the, I, it was an unbelievable hack. I mean, we got you know double the battery life out of our iPhones. It lasted all day. And it's just something that uh, I would, and they're pretty cheap. I think they're you know 40 bucks or something. So definitely buy a Mophie case. Uh, other things that are in my bag, a nice set of um, headphones uh, when you're traveling. Um, that I think it makes a big difference, especially if you're doing a lot of international traveling. You've got you know, 12, 15 hours on a plane. You know, the noise-canceling headphones do a, a remarkable job at, at giving you some sanity uh, and yeah. getting you away from that airport hiss. I'm kind of a, uh, when it comes to packing, let's talk about packing for a second. So when it comes to actually like packing our bags, I am kind of a purist in the fact that like I never check bags. But, um, I also make sure that there's like literally every single thing in my bag is absolutely essential. So, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll take all of my items. Uh, I put them in a Ziploc bag and I, mm-hmm. I squeeze all the air out of them and I make sure every single inch of that bag is utilized. Um, and it's basically a backpack. Like it's, uh, you know, I have a 40, I think it's a 40 liter, uh, backpack, but it's, uh, yeah, it's. I would recommend being very intentional about how you're packing. When you're talking about when you're obviously going to be on the road, um, how do you manage your, your team? Uh, and that's a, an important part of the puzzle, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, that's a good question. I some mean, of the things that, I mean, I think it's important, obviously, again, to give your key people um, access and let them know what your schedule is, who you're meeting with, where you're going to be uh, in case an emergency does kind of pop up. Be focused as far as uh, what you expect to get done when you're not in the office. Yeah. This goes for, more for like if you're managing you know, a team of people and you know, the bosses bosses away, so to speak. You know, what can you do to make sure that they feel confident in making decisions, they feel confident in, that knowing that, uh, uh, you know, again, where you're going to be or, or, or there's a level of trust of uh, what they need to get done is going to get done and, and vice versa. It'll make you a lot less stressed if you have confidence in your team that uh, things are going to be executed on when you're not, uh, you know, in the office itself. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we, um, not, and not just because I'm recommending this, not just because I helped create it, but um, I would I, I would recommend the Speak blog, mm-hmm. or if you want to go back into the archives, the Squiggle blog. Uh, there's hundreds of posts about kind of managing a remote team, yep. um, and you know, it's it's a really really hard thing because you you know everybody in various parts of the, the world or the United States or whatever. Uh, has their own kind of time zone. They've got their own needs. They've got their own, you know, environment. So, you know, it's really hard over the wire to kind of uh, cater to all of those things. So uh, number one thing that I would recommend is having a good video conferencing system in place. And and by good, there's probably 50 video conferencing systems that, that are on the market today. Um, something that's super low friction, in talking to people. So you right. don't want to have to think two weeks ahead to talk to five people in your office. So, uh, you know, basically you, you want it to be super, super simple, uh, super easy to engage. And I think that one way to do that is obviously you can use products that I've been involved in, but there's, uh, there's anything else. So, uh, um, Slack is, is a big, big thing, but also there's a Google Hangouts button built into Slack. So you literally hit a button and can start a Google Hangout on the fly. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would just make sure that you are 
being super frictionless about your video conferencing. I think that's the number one thing. I think another thing as far as like when you come back from the conference or from the, the meeting, I think it's important to keep the team involved in what actually happened. You have a, have a debrief meeting. Uh, we've done that with uh, conferences where we've sent people away and it's like, come back and share what you've learned. Yeah. Uh, it gives them, uh, the person who's going on the trip, uh, additional reason to you know pay attention and kind of take notes and things along those lines, but it's also a way to get those people involved. So you know, I think a lot of times if you're the guy that's always stuck at the office and never get to travel, it's like, oh, this guy's always traveling. They're always, you know, seeing new things. Uh, give them insight into, you know, what actually happened on the road. What you, what did you learn? Who did you meet? All those kind of things. Cause I think that can help build both cohesiveness, um, as well as just give insight into what, what it's like to be on the road. Yeah. So how do we wrap this conversation up? Um, it's, it's kind of a, we just spit out a lot of ideas <laughs> on travel. Um, so I think the number one thing is, uh, be very intentional with your travel, pack lightly, pack intentionally, uh, pack only the things that are necessary, but also utilize, utilize what you're, what you're doing. So if you're going to a conference, make sure that you, you plan out the conference, uh, hit the high, hit the high points and work in the low points. I think that's a a big thing. Um, pay attention to new, new tools. There's new tools coming out all the time, whether it's, you know, again, travel management, as far as like how to manage itineraries to, um, you know, again, managing your time tools, as far as making it easier to, um, actually work while you're not in your, in your base camp. Um, and then obviously I think it's most important to manage your talent, you know, or, or, you know, pay attention to the folks that aren't on the road with you, uh, to make sure they're included and understand the importance when you do, uh, leave the office, you know, why be intentional about why you're leaving the office and make sure that people understand why you're doing it. I think you have to start all of those conversations first with what's the, what's the business objective? What are we trying to achieve? Um, and then how are we scoring that? What's the KPI and what does measurement look like? This is Mickey Cloud, Vice President of the Chattanooga office at VaynerMedia, a company that is quite literally changing the game when it comes to social media marketing. This episode is super tactical with real world stories on how you can optimize your company's social media strategy. Thanks for coming on, Mickey. Uh, why don't you kind of introduce yourself and tell you who you are and, and what you do? Sure. So I'm Mickey Cloud. Uh, I am the Vice President uh, at VaynerMedia, head of the our Chattanooga, Tennessee office. Um, VaynerMedia is a social first digital ad agency. We've got offices in New York, LA, and San Francisco, and then uh, just opened an office here in Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, earlier this summer in, uh, in July. How did that happen? Uh, you know, going from a New York agency to Chattanooga, Tennessee. I mean, I obviously you know Gary Vaynerchuk, and he, he makes bold things happen, but how did that actually come to be? Sure. So, yeah, in New York, LA, San Francisco, Chattanooga is the, the natural fourth one uh, <laughs> among those after those three. Um, yeah, no, there was, you know, we, we felt that with New York, LA and San Francisco, we had the coast covered. Um, and we had some of those major, uh, markets of culture and technology and entertainment and marketing, uh, really down. Um, but you know, a lot of America doesn't live, uh, like people in New York, LA and San Francisco live. Um, they have different shopping experiences. They have different brands that are available. They have different, um, you know, commutes and all these different things. Um, and so we wanted, uh, as we expanded our footprint to have, uh, to, to be in a market where we could access consumers that, you know, didn't live in those and some, and what can sometimes be bubbles in New York, LA and San Francisco. Um, and so, you know, we work on big brands like Dove and Mountain Dew and Quaker and, and, you know, a lot of those brands are bought at Walmart or and bought at, Kroger and Publix and, you know, we in New York, LA and San Francisco don't have access to those stores, those retail channels. So, um, part of it was just getting, being able to 
to be among uh, consumers that are living their lives and that our brands are a part of their lives. Um, and then Chattanooga specifically, uh, you know, we started to look at the Southeast, the Midwest, a couple of different markets. Um, and we just found a really kind of a, a cultural fit with what's going on here within the entrepreneurial kind of community. Um, you know, Chattanooga has designated, um, you know, part of, of downtown uh, to be its its innovation district. And there's a lot of tech companies here. There's entrepreneurs that are building businesses, people just interested in the, in the startup culture. And we had an opportunity to visit uh, in uh, May of 2014 and Gary came down here and he was speaking and he kind of just really was digging the vibes that of uh, the people and and so subsequently uh, had a couple more visits and really uh, really enjoyed and kind of the enthusiasm and the uh, optimism that the startup community here has um, and then I think the last part was you know this is Chattanooga is a market that's still defining itself. It's not going to be um, the Silicon Smoky Mountains or whatever it is. It's going to be Chattanooga. Um, and I think we wanted to, you know, that was certainly here before we got here. Uh, but the, found, the foundation was there and we just wanted to help build on top of that or make that foundation, you know, bigger. Excellent. Well, you and I had had a chance to talk at uh, Startup Week Chattanooga a couple weeks ago at the Angel Summit, and you uh, and your team gave a, a interesting presentation to angel investors and in that talking about uh, social media and startups. So I thought it would be good to bring you on the program to talk a little bit about what you're seeing uh, in the space uh, with regard to social media and how startups should be using social media and, and what's working, what's not working. Yes, yeah, so it's really interesting because we, uh, you know, if you know the story about our founder Gary Vaynerchuk, um, you know, he's he's been a serial entrepreneur and so he knows the startup world super well. He's a, he laughs that, you know, he, his first four angel investments were into Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and, uh, and Uber. And, and he's only gotten worse as an investor since then. Uh, and so, um, you know, we, through his network and through kind of our connections in the emerging technology space, uh, you know, our company was, is built off startup DNA um, and so we have a lot of uh, just friends and a network into that world, um, but we our clients are all in the big Fortune 500 world um, and are the big corporations that um, are are trying to approach what social and digital can 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 bring for them for for their business. And so um, it's interesting because you know the startup world is you are either producing results or you're not. Um, and so the, uh, the, everything needs to be quantifiable. There needs to be, um, okay, if I pulled this marketing lever, then I need to have seen a return on that or, you know, the business is in jeopardy when you're playing with, uh, big brands, you know, that's, it's the corporation's money. It's not your money. You know, you, you can spend things, however, you know, that marketing budget, however you really see fit. Um, and so what we've, why we think social and digital is important for startups is, um, a, it works, uh, B, if you really know how to take advantage of the granular targeting, uh, that platforms like Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, you know, uh, the, you know, Snapchat, Pinterest down the line, if you can take advantage of the, the, the ad opportunities there, if you can take advantage of the audiences and the attention that is paid on these platforms by consumers, um, you can be putting messages that are tailored to them um, in a way that's not even comprehensible in a traditional media sense um, and deliver unique creative to those different audiences that's going to drive them to take conversion. And then you can follow it all the way through if you've got an e-commerce business or if you've got um, any you know connection to your 
end point of sale, um, you can be following, you know, what that, uh, what the impact that your, that your digital social media is having on your business. And so, you know, the companies like Uber and Airbnb and, and another one that Gary invested in Birchbox, um, you know, those have been built to be hundreds of millions and billion dollar businesses off the back of quantifiable results driven by social and digital media and, and other things, obviously. But, um, you know, even as you start to see some of those companies do traditional media, they've been hitting us up and saying, okay, well, how do you, how do you quantify these things? What, where, where, what, what can I do? And in the, in our world of fortune 500 marketing, um, where there's marketing models built out and, and there's accepted math, um, it, they're kind of startled by how, <laughs> how that works. So you think it's, is it easier for bigger brands to engage and utilize these t- new technologies or, or are they getting leapfrogged by the startups and kind of where do you see the, the intersection between what's going on in, in startup world versus corporate world? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, each, uh, each has their own strengths that they can play into, right? So, um, the, Anheuser Bushes of the world, the Unilevers of the world, they are using their dollars to get into the early beta programs. You know, Instagram just launched, opened up its self-serve ads back in September, but you know, it's been, it's had advertising as a product available for a year and a half, two years. And it's been the big brands that are spending money to be a part of that. So I think the smart big brands are placing bets and, and finding, you know, leveraging the equity that they have or the dollars that they have, um, to, find uh, advertising opportunities on some of these platforms. And so that's where they're leveraging their strengths. But the strengths that they don't have uh, that startups uh, do have is speed and flexibility. Um, you know, you can be, and, and just the, uh, you know, the opportunity, if you're a startup, if you know, you're the one making the decision, um, you can say, all right, I'm going to turn off all of the, my traditional media and I'm going to turn on only, um, Facebook ads and Pinterest ads and do influencers on Snapchat and Instagram and see what that does for my business in a world where uh, that decision is not quickly made uh, or, and it's not necessarily made by one person in the, in the corporate world. Right. So, so what are the, some of the tactical things that if you were sitting down across the table from a startup or a, or a big brand as far as how they should approach uh, analyzing what to do. Uh, obviously, there's tons of platforms out there, and it's just growing and growing. Um, what are some of the things they should do to kind of analyze and figure out what they should be doing next? Sure, right. I think you have to start all of those conversations first with what's the what's the business objective? What are we trying to achieve, um, and then how are we scoring that? What's the KPI, and what does measurement look like? Um, and then reverse engineer from there. If you if it's a big brand that's trying to change perception. Um, uh, among an audience or, or if or it's been trying to uh, deliver sales at Walmart, whatever that is, um, I think we would apply, um, you know, different strategies for that than if, um, you know, it's a startup that's got limited funds and, um, and, you know, we need to be proving that we can drive sales at Walgreens in these 500 locations that we've got our test in, well, then I'm going to apply different strategies to that. And I'm probably going to lean really into, you know, Facebook's, um, Facebook's ad product because of how granular you can get where you're, uh, you know, you're targeting within a mile, five miles, 10 miles of a specific address of those Walgreens where you've got the 500, uh, you know, stores of distribution and, you know, you're adding in the, um, the demographic targeting, you're adding in the interest-based targeting, you're adding in um, 
third-party data purchase-based, uh, you know, targeting and really trying to, to put your shot into that. But if it's a candy brand and a big Fortune 500 and they want to be relevant to teens, you know, go and, and work with Snapchat influencers or Instagram influencers and, and get, get the, the message out that way or utilize some of the ad platforms that are available there. So I think ultimately it depends on what's the business objective, how is, how is the client scoring it, and then we're going to reverse engineer from those two things. Can you give us any examples of uh, uh, either startups or brands that you've worked with and kind of what the process was that uh, and, and the result? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we worked with, in, and we do work with, at VaynerMedia, and specifically in our Chad New office, we do work with some smaller brands um, that that aren't the, the big, you know, Fortune 500s. And we had one brand this summer that was a an after-sun care um, product. So it was for sunburns, and uh, you... Um, you know, it, it was, it did more than, you know, aloe is kind of just soothes your skin and this product helps heal your skin. It's a product called sunburnt. Um, it was in that kind of similar scenario that I was describing earlier where it was in, tw- it had distribution in 2,700 Walmarts this summer as a seasonal run at Walmart. And the objective there was to, um, was to drive, uh, enough velocity to kind of get Walmart's attention that they would stock it year round. Um, we, we were able to look at the zip codes and the addresses of those Walmarts, uh, the 2,700 Walmarts across the country. Um, we were able to put advertising and content on Facebook into the users that we thought were going to be most uh, interested in this product. Um, and then what we did is we had weekly point-of-sale data that we were looking at and uh, adjusting based on levels of inventory, based on what, which stores were moving the fastest amount of uh, product, uh, you know, sales velocity, all these different factors. And we were making adjustments in real time, week over week, um, to, to maximize our, um, you know, our, our media spend, our media weight in the different markets, uh, to minimize the waste that you get. Uh, and, and if there was a store that was out of inventory, we were not serving ads that week toward, to, towards that store. Um, we actually, and we had, you know, we had enough sales velocity and we actually, you know, funny enough when our client went and, uh, went to Bentonville in, in, in Arkansas, like the ad buyer or the, the, the category buyer had seen our ads in Facebook about the brand. And so there was enough, um, kind of these, uh, stories that, and then our client was able to help, you know, sell in the vision for what a year round distribution could look like. And it's looking like we're going to get that in 2016 and we're, we're making plans against that in 2016. Hmm. Is this is this something that a startup can do without help from a media agency, or is this something that it's getting so competitive to really tweak the the knobs and that you have to have outside help? I think you can learn it. Uh, it it comes down to time and resources, right? So, I mean, if you've got the time to be in Facebook's backend, it's pretty user friendly. I've had plenty of friends or you know startup companies that we've sat alongside and and, and advised or cheered for that have been doing it themselves. Um, but you know, there is, uh, you know, we've just, you know, we've been doing this for six years, um, at VaynerMedia, we're a six year old company and social is the only thing we've been doing for the past six years. And we've gotten, um, you know, we have the, the, uh, the understanding of what are the different things you can test. So it's, it, you can learn it. There's plenty of, you know, articles and YouTube videos and things like that. It just kind of comes down to, is there, um, you know, do you have the team in place or do you, ha- or can you yourself devote the time that's necessary? 
Um, you know, I actually you know, have been meeting with some folks here in Chattanooga who are working on just small brands or, you know, small companies and things like that. And, you know, you, the, the beauty of Facebook and, and some of these platforms is that it doesn't take a whole lot to, uh, to test it. You know, I had, a, I was talking with a guy the other day who was, um, promoting a product that is being sold on amazon.com and, uh, like doesn't really have a website for this, for the product yet. He's just been put it up on Amazon and, you know, he took a real big bet and put a hundred dollars on Facebook to see what it could do. Um, and, and it's actually for an, an elderly population of 55 plus population. And, um, the product is, and he sold, you know, a couple different units and it was more than a hundred dollars. He was like, okay, well, all right, let's, let me t- tweak a few things. Uh, and then next time crossed his fingers, put out a thousand dollars and it was returning three to $5,000 in sales. And so he's like, okay, well now let's do 10. And so, you know, I think it's, it, you can, you have the opportunity to test and learn and see what it can do for your business. As long as you're, um, you know, you, you you understand it enough to just jump in and try. Sure. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing folks doing out there? Are there common things that you're seeing that's like uh, either because they're doing things that were um, uh, useful five years ago or other mistakes that you're seeing out there that people are commonly falling into? Sure. I mean, I think um, there's a lot of headline reading done in the marketing space. And so uh, over the past two years, if you've read a headline about Facebook and and in relation to brands or startups or whatever, um, you've probably heard that, oh, organic reach is going away. Facebook's taking away this distribution of content to an audience that I used to be getting three, four, five years ago. Um, and now organic reach is next to nothing. Uh, and so we had a lot of clients that were angry with Facebook and saying, or, you know, there's a lot of articles out in the world saying, uh, you know, you shouldn't advertise on Facebook now because they're charging and, and, and they, you know, you had built this community that you thought you could reach and now you can't. Um, and so took, uh, me away from spending on Facebook in a world where at the same time they're introducing a really, really amazing ad product, um, that didn't cost a lot of money to participate in. And, um, and they weren't seeing kind of the, the forest for the trees. Uh, and so, um, you know, we, we saw it as well with when Facebook introduced video, uh, and saying, you know, people were getting all upset that a video view counted after three seconds, as opposed to, uh, you know, a completed view the way that YouTube has it or, uh, you know, 15 seconds or, or whatever that may be. Um, and so people that I think hope, like headline read and see these things and then say, all right, we'll see. I told you it didn't work. Um, or, or I told you that's, that it's not real or usable. Um, but aren't looking at results and aren't looking at, okay, what did I do? Uh, how did I perform? What are things that are actually impactful in my business? Um, and we see we saw it happen when when Snapchat was introduced. It was like, oh, that's a sexting app. Uh, meanwhile, like the brands that were on there two years ago, you know, whether it was putting out building out their own audience or and putting out content, or whether it was partnering with influencers to get the distribution and the creative in one, um, you know, they were those the people that have been advertising on Snapchat for two years are in a much better position than the the advertisers that are just now thinking about what their Snapchat strategy should be. Um, and so I think it comes down to uh, just kind of that muscle memory that you build when you jump in and you, and you take advantage of um, some of these platforms and just go test them and learn. Um, you're going to be, be setting yourself up better than, than the guy that's saying, well, I'm going to wait until 
uh, it's been proven before before spending any time or, or resources to it. Sure. Are, are there any new platforms that you're working with right now that you'd recommend uh, startups take a look at? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, from an advertising perspective, you know, Facebook is still a huge. Uh, a, a, it's the biggest uh, in in the social media space. I think Instagram's ad product rolling out is going to be really interesting. Pinterest's ad product is is rolling out. Um, you know, I think there's really there's there's kind of there there is a bit of settling into the market where there's a few key big players uh, that, that I've talked about. Um, you know, I think the the next step is is adding in. Um, you know, the third party data, some of the third party purchase based data that I was talking about. If you've got a consumer product, um, you know, looking or, uh, for companies that are providing purchase based targeting has been really interesting and seen driven some really interesting results for us. Um, and then, you know, I think always keeping your eye on, you know, something that like Gary kind of preaches to our company, everyone in the company needs to do is every day, wake up and go look at the, uh, the iTunes store and look at the top 150 free, uh, apps and look at the top 150, uh, you know, paid for apps. Um, and so, and, and just see, uh, and see what's moving, see what's changing, see if there's new things that are popping up, um, go on to product hunt and every day and check to see what's happening there. Um, there are resources out there that where you can kind of monitor, and see if something's popping before you know the Mashable or TechCrunch article comes out about it. All right. So switching gears, can you talk a little bit about? Uh, you mentioned at the, the beginning, obviously, uh, you're in Chattanooga. And that talk a little bit about the the startup scene outside the valley, and specifically in Chattanooga. What are you seeing, and uh, what are some of the good things coming out of Chattanooga? Yeah, I mean that was it was the entrepreneurial scene and the startup scene that's happening in Chattanooga is the is you know the, probably the biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons why we're here specifically, um, and. And it's really, it's really interesting because, um, as being someone who's not from Chattanooga coming here and seeing what's going on, because a lot of people here are still, you know, there's not as many transplants as there are people who are just from here and are doing really interesting things, but there are, um, a key, you know, a couple different players that are in the, um, kind of incubation world. So we've got, uh, both private and public. So I think the private and public partnership that happens here in Chattanooga is something that I, that I haven't really seen in other markets that I've, uh, been to or, or lived in or anything like that. And so, you know, you've got, um, you know, the, the, the public side is putting out, uh, organizations like Colab and, and gig tank that are incubators and accelerators, um, to, to kind of offer up resources to entrepreneurs, um, you've got the private sector, a company like the Lamppost Group, uh, which is a vent- venture incubator here in town that's incubated about 18 companies at this point. Um, they provide seed stage funding for entrepreneurs, um, and but one of their uh, stipulants is that the entrepreneurs got to, the founders got to live in Chattanooga, uh, and so it takes a bit of a commitment from that founder. But if the if you're you know willing to do it, they've had some amazing success stories, and I think that's also interesting in that they're investing in people that are wanting to grow and build Chattanooga. Um, and so we're like people who are set up putting in roots or, or building roots for their businesses here. Um, so I think there's, there's talent and there's uh, capital here that are working together. Um, I think that there's uh, a place for lots of different type of technology. So, um, you know, we're not celebrating just 3d printing. We're not just going to be the, the, you know, we've got, 
the fastest internet in the country. And they made an announcement at startup week that there's going to be 10 gig worth of, uh, you know, speed, uh, broadband and speed available to all businesses and consumers. Um, the EBP did here and, it's going to be the fastest internet that's available to consumers in the world. And like, that's awesome. But what I think that's done more than anything uh, is just brought talent and attention to this town. Um, and that's something we're still like having even scratched the surface of, I don't think. Well, that's it for this episode. Special thanks to Mickey Cloud for joining us this week. Reach out to him on Twitter and let him know how much you enjoyed the interview. If you have a question for us this week, you can also reach out at the IO podcast. Also, if you have 30 seconds to spare, we would love for you to leave a review on our iTunes page. And while you're there, feel free to subscribe as well. Until next time, go build something big.